Episode 8, 8 Strategies to Turbocharge Your Profits. Hi there, this is Tony Malik, the author of the book Leaky Bucket of Profits, and you're not going to want to mess any part of this podcast. It is possibly the most information-filled episode of my whole series from Leaky Bucket of Profits, and we're going to be covering chapter eight in the book called Increase Gross Margins. Now, the reason why I'm calling this podcast Turbocharger Profits, because it, to be honest, it sounds a lot more exciting than Increase or Gross Margins. But there are a number of tips and strategies I'm going to be sharing with you here that could literally start to turn your business around tomorrow or even immediately upon listening to this podcast. So stay tuned. What I've learned from working with many clients and and meeting with many business owners is that the biggest leak in the bucket when it comes to cash flow and profits is in the gross profits. And I've used some of the, a lot of, actually virtually all of the strategies mentioned in this episode to help clients literally transform their business into cash generating profit machines. And a lot of these strategies are very simple and you may think, well, there's nothing special about this strategy, but the fact is a lot of business owners don't do it. So there's eight different strategies that I use with my clients. I'm going to list the eight now, but then I'm going to share some more detail with you, uh, share the stra- share the details of each strategy with you uh, as I go through this episode. So here's strategy number one, increase pricing. Strategy number two, resist discounting. Strategy three, consider surcharges and, and ancillary charges. Strategy four, Right-size your labor. Strategy five, lead and manage better to improve productivity. Strategy six, review processes to reduce or eliminate waste. Strategy seven, account for every cost and every item that is needed to deliver your product or service. And here's an easy one. Strategy eight, ask your suppliers for lower pricing. When I'm talking about turbocharging your profits, the the vast majority of the wins you can get are with your gross profits. And what I want to do is, first of all, just to be sure we all understand what a gross profit is. When you look at a financial statement, you might have looked at a profit and loss statement for your business. There's three, basically three areas on the top of that profit and loss statement. The first is sales. The second will be your cost of goods, which are all the costs required the direct costs that are incurred when you're delivering that service to your client or producing that product. And when you subtract your cost of goods from sales, that's your gross profit. And that's what you have left to to pay the rest of your bills with, such as rent, utilities, insurance, and all that kind of stuff. So gross profit is what's left over from your sales minus the cost to deliver your service or produce that product. There are really two basic ways of increasing gross profits. Number one, increase your price. Number two, decrease your cost of goods sold. So let's talk about strategy number strategy number one, which is, which is increasing your pricing. This seems really obvious, but I'm really surprised by how many small business owners don't do it. I run into small business owners all the time that haven't increased their price for three, four, five years even though, or although, their costs have gone up to produce that product or deliver that service. 
So, and the reason is when I, when I suggest a price increase, the comment I usually get back is my customers won't accept it. They just won't accept a price increase. And they're only assuming they won't accept a price increase. I worked with a manufacturing client that said that exact same to me. He had, he had not increased his pricing in four years. His costs have gone up. Uh, he was not making any money. After some discussion about the price increase and, and, and letting him know that customers expect a price increase every year, it's called inflation, uh, that it's important that there's, and what a customer will accept is a small increase yearly, but what they don't like is receiving no price increases for four or five years and hitting them with a big one. So what we did with this, with, with this client is I suggested to him that he increases pricing by 4%. 4% psychologically, uh, you know, when you hit five, it sounds like a lot. So let's go with four. And we wrote a letter to his clients or we, we crafted a letter that explained that the prices had not gone up in four years. His costs have gone up and he had no other choice but to increase prices by 4%. He was really nervous when this happened. But he sent the, the email out and nervously waited all night. And the next morning, he got responses from his customers. And virtually every one of them said, thank you, I will update my records. They all accepted the price increase with virtually no pushback because it was a reasonable increase and he justified why he was doing it. And that alone can have a huge impact on your gross profits. Think of a, of a $2 million a year company that increases their price by 4%. That's an $80,000 inc uh, increase in profits overnight. So it's sometimes just that easy. So don't assume your customers won't accept it. Customers will accept the reasonable price increase, especially if you can justify it. Let's talk about strategy two, resist price discounting. I find this happens all the time. For some reason, people feel they have to lower their pricing to get the order. I addressed this actually in, a, in my previous episode, episode seven, and be a sales warrior, where quite often the reason for discounting or unnecessary discounting is due to a lack of sales training, uh, the lack of uh, knowledge and ability to sell value, and instead, the only thing that's left to do is to lower pricing. And I find that a lot of small businesses in almost every industry very often undersells their product or service by up to 20%. So that's a lot of profit being left on the table. For instance, give, giving a 10% discount might seem harmless, but let, let's let's kind of do some math on this. If you have a $100 item and you give a 10% discount, that means you're making $10 less on that item. Now, if your gross per profit on that item or that service is $30, but you've taken $10 off the price, that $10 comes directly off of your gross profit. So if you take $10 off and now your gross profit, instead of being $30, is now $20. You just reduced your gross profits by 33%. And I could tell you over time, that adds up to big dollars for almost every single business. Now, sometimes price discounting is needed for marketing purposes and various reasons, but there's a lot of unnecessary discount being given. And so one of the things you want to do is make it painful for your salespeople to give discounts because quite often they want to take the path of least resistance when there is any type of pushback for price. And if we focus on selling value, you will drastically reduce the amount of times you have to give a price discount. So just understand that don't take price discounting lately. 
it's having a huge effect on the profitability and cash flow of your business. Strategy three is surcharges and ancillary charges. Now this could be a bit of a controversial topic because a lot of people don't like you know the nickel and diming that sometimes goes on in building, but it could also be a huge cash generator for your business, especially if your industry if if, if surcharges are are an already accepted practice in your industry. So if you're not doing it, you might want to consider it. And a very common one are fuel surcharges. Almost all transportation companies, mobile services, are charging some kind of a fuel surcharge. Uh, various shops and manufacturers sometimes charge a shop charge. So there's different kinds of charges you can add that are usually small, very small charges to an invoice, but over a period of time they can they're, they're, they can go right to the bottom line for you. A, a quick example: I was managing a, a business for a corporation, and we and gas prices went up, oil prices went up a lot, 50% over about a six-month period. And instead of raising prices, we decided to add a fuel surcharge of 4.8%. Thinking that this would at least cover the, our, you know, the increase, the, in, the increase that we were experiencing to our own gas costs. Well, what ended up happening is the fuel surcharges ended up covering our whole gas costs. It ended up being a huge cash generator for the business. So that's why you see a lot of businesses already doing it. It is a ca huge cash generator. And it's something to, to be, you know, to consider. But that being said, it can also become very unpopular. So, so sometimes you need to be able to justify, it. justify due to you know increased fuel surcharges or increase uh, government regulations. You know, we need to add the surcharge to our pricing to cover it. So, if you can justify it, it's something worth considering, and it could add up to a lot of cash for your business. Let's talk a, a, a quick example how this might look. Let's say, for instance, a company has a million dollars in sales, and adds a five percent surcharge, for you know for various reasons, but they add a five percent surcharge. This immediately increases gross profits by fifty thousand dollars. Now, if gross profits are forty percent, and let's say you lose a hundred thousand dollars in business because customers just don't want to accept your you know your surcharge so you lose a hundred thousand dollars in in sales which in gross profits would mean you would lose forty thousand dollars in gross profits but the surcharge added fifty thousand dollars in gross profits so guess what you're still ten thousand dollars ahead from where you were in the first place so something you just want to do before you consider surcharges or any other types of uh, ancillary charges is just do some estimating do some forecasting of how much business might you lose and don't just go by the sales but how much gross profit would that represent versus the gross profit you would gain by adding these surcharges so do some math do some forecasting take a, a worst case scenario if you were to lose you know, a lot of business versus best case losing no or maybe something in the middle and just see if it's something that you're willing to accept or a, a risk that you're willing to accept but it can work out a, a very well and sometimes what ends up happening there's that saying squeaky wheels you know get the grease is if you have some key customers that just are not going to accept it you can always make exceptions if you really have to but again surcharges are worth looking at if if you're willing to go through that process and justifying it to your to your customers strategy four is right size your labor costs. Now this also can be a contentious issue because 
it could mean affecting people's lives if you find out you are having too many people employed in your business. And I do find this happens quite often. Uh, my own experience in reviewing a lot of business, a lot of some businesses are running with as much as 20% more people than they really need. And no wonder why the business isn't making any money, if little money, if any at all. And there's always a bit of a cash flow issue. Keep something in mind. Labor for a lot of businesses, you know, manufacturing, uh, the trades, services businesses, labor is the single largest expense item for a business. So a lot of time needs to be spent to be sure that the costs are in line with where your sales are at. Most business owners, or at least small business owners, don't if really effectively track their labor costs. Except when they write those payroll checks and they see how big their payroll is, then they groan and go, how am I going to make money? So here's a couple ideas to help you understand what your right labor costs should be for your business and, and some ideas on how you could uh, take some corrective action to improve the financial performance of your business. First, one thing you need to decide is the purpose of your business to make a profit and provide financial stability and a healthy lifestyle for your family, or are you in business to employ as many people as possible? The fact is, you know, by caring more people than you need to, you're really putting at your own business in peril. And let's say, for instance, you have 20 employees and, and it turns out you're carrying a couple more people than you really should be. You're risking the 18 other jobs. In the name of saving two jobs, you're, you're risking the other 18 jobs, not to mention the financial stability of, you know, for your family. So it's a bit, some hard decisions need to be here, but here's, here's a few things that you need to do. First of all, start benchmarking your business against the industry for labor costs. Every industry has some accepted labor costs, usually typically a labor costs as a percentage of sales is one way to do it. So look into your industry and, and, and try to decide and try to find out how that can be or what that number is. And then benchmark is your number in line with the rest of the industry. Number two is to communicate productivity expectations to your team. I'm going to talk that uh, talk a little bit more about that in, in a few minutes when I get into the leadership part. But that's something that needs to be done. And then, of course, we need to measure performance. And that's what a lot of business owners are not doing is they don't measure the performance in key parts of their business to find out what's working well and what's not working well. So here's some things that some of the, you know, the, the big companies do to help determine if their company, you know, if they got the right amount of employees is they let, there's a ratio, usually what's called an F for an FTE, and that stands for full-time equivalent. So a full-time equivalent, for instance, if somebody's working full-time, that's one FTE. If you have two part-time employees, say, say working 20 hours a week, that would still add up to one full-time employee. So for, you can kind of say for every 40 hours of labor, that's a full-time position. And what a lot of companies will do is they have ratios for the interest that say, for every full-time employee or equivalent that I have, I need a certain amount of sales, top-line sales to justify that position. For instance, a lot of service industries may, may use a number like $150,000 to $175,000 per employee in that business. A manufacturing or distribution company might use a number like $300,000. No, these numbers may not be 100% accurate. You have to check your own industry, but that just gives you an idea of how they look at it. And what these companies will do is they'll say, they'll divide that number. Let's say it's a manufacturer and it's $300,000 an employee, the number for their industry. They just divide that $300 in per employee 
into their top line sales and that'll tell them how many employees that they should have on their payroll. And that gives a really high level general direction to see, to, just to get a benchmark and to see if you're sort of on track with that. Again, I find quite often a lot of small businesses are running with up to around 20% more employees than they should have for the sales they're at. Now, some people may say, well, why don't you just increase sales and, and, and you know increase sales and work on growing the business so we could justify those, those employees? And I agree with that. However, sometimes, first of all, it takes a while to build that up. It takes a while to get them. You can take months, many months, to get the marketing in place, to get the marketing strategy put in. And by the way, marketing costs money, and sometimes clients or businesses just don't have the resources to put into marketing because they're paying it all out in payroll. So they, they get stuck. So if you can you can grow your sales to justify your empl- number of employees quickly, that's fantastic. You get to save everyone's job. But quite often, a lot of businesses need some breathing room. And that sometimes means right-sizing the labor to free up cash flow so you can focus, for instance, make more money today. But if you want to continue to grow, then you've got the resources in place to grow your business. Another thing to look at for a way to measure is, for instance, if you're in the mobile trade business, plumbing, HVAC, electrical services, and there's a whole bunch of other mobile service businesses that would fit into this, is look at what's the, the revenue per day per tech on the road that you need. And a number that's pretty common, and again, it could change by industry, is about $1,000 a day per tech. So for instance, if you look at the amount of revenue your business is generating, and for instance, if it's $3,000 a day is your revenue, you may need three techs on the road. And if you've got five techs on the road, you just may have too many techs. And that's something, it gives you that general number that says, hey, I might have a problem here, and you can dig down deeper to see if to really measure the productivity of your people to say, do I really need five or should I be taking action to reduce it to three? I worked with a, a trades company that had that very same problem. In their case, they had eight techs on the road and all their numbers based on the metrics of their business showed they should have had five. And when we did some investigating, we realized that three months of the year, this company could use eight techs because it was a peak part of their season. And as a result, they were keeping ATEX on board all year round. The strategy was to reduce the amount of tax by by three to five, which is was the right size for the, where the revenue is at. And then we came up with a plan for the peak season, for instance, uh, being offering overtime to the tax, maybe perhaps bringing on an assistant for a short period of time that would allow them to be more productive. But what ended up happening for this one company is because a tech was being paid around sixty to sixty-five thousand a year, they saved almost two hundred thousand dollars a year. Went to the bottom line, and this was a company that was struggling with cash flow. They were struggling with profits, and within a couple months, their whole financial situation changed. So it just shows that it's something that we don't really want to have to deal with. But when we do deal with it, we could really change the fortune of our of our business. Strategy five is lead and manage better to improve productivity. I just talked about you know right-sizing your labor, but quite often when, when we have a workforce that isn't motivated, they're not engaged, their productivity isn't going to be in high, which is sometimes one of the reasons why we need more people than we really do 
to get the job done and, and to be sure our clients are taken care of. So that comes down to leadership and management. And that's one of the reasons my first four, actually my first four episodes in this series and first four chapters of my book are dedicated to leadership for that very reason. My experience has shown that a lot of businesses struggle with leadership of their people, which means that their productivity of their team isn't where it needs to be. So a couple things to keep in mind. First of all, if you haven't downloaded them, I strongly suggest you download uh, episodes one to four, which is on leadership, which will give you some ideas on how to you know, inspire and engage your team. But one basic thing you can do is to be sure you've communicated your expectations to them. I find a lot of in a lot of businesses, employees don't really know what's expected of them. They don't know how much revenue they need to be generating. They don't know how many calls they need to be doing. They don't know how many units they need to be producing in a day. So they just sort of use their best judgment and go within their own comfort zone, which is quite often just not enough. First of all, the first thing is to decide is what what output do you need from a position or that person to be profitable? and to ensure that that person understands what is needed from them. And what I have found is when most people will rise to the occasion, a saying that I use with a lot of my clients is people will either step up or they'll step out. So when there's expectations put on them, they'll either step up to the occasion and deliver for you, or sometimes if it's the wrong person, they're going to step out, which is probably good for your business. So what are the expectations? Let them know what you need from them, and then support them, lead them, motivate them to reach those goals that you need set. I worked with a client where they had a an inside sales team that was generating sales, but closing percentages or conversion rates were not being tracked on, on a per salesperson basis. We knew what the team's conversion rate was, but we didn't really track, what the, the client wasn't tracking each person. And that person the employee wasn't really sure what was expected of them, so they just did the best they could. When we started creating a standard and communicating those expectations of closing rates to all the salespeople and gave them a number to achieve, and we started tracking it, amazing things happened. The vast majority of those salespeople rose to the occasion. They were motivated to do so. They had fun doing so. And over the next four years, this client doubled their sales and quadrupled their profits in that four-year period. And that was one simple strategy of having expectations for people, communicating it to them, but then also supporting them and giving the tools they need to be sure they're successful. Strategy six is to review processes to reduce waste. This is where you can have quite often death by a thousand cuts, little things that are going on in your business that are causing leaks in that that profit bucket. For instance, I was working with a, a trades company, mobile trades company, and they didn't have, what was happening is their techs were spending a lot of time at the supplier. They're, they would go out to jobs and they were always running to the supplier to pick up a bunch of stuff. They were losing at least an hour or two a day by doing that because what happens when the tech goes to a supplier? Well, they go there, they pick up a coffee, maybe they have a quick chat with uh, some some of the people they may know there, and then they head back to the job. One of the things we're able to do by recognizing this, we ensured that all the trucks had a standard inventory so that those commonly used components that were used on a daily basis were always in the truck. 
that dramatically reduced the amount of trips to the supplier by about 80%. So you can imagine how that adds up. If they're spending an hour or two driving back and forth to suppliers on a daily basis and you cut down 80% of that, that's a lot of productivity, a lot of labor that's available to you now where you can actually start billing it out. If you're running a manufacturing company, you may want to look at repetitive processes. Why are, are certain things being done twice when they could be done once? Are components sitting in a storage area 50 feet away that your people have to walk back and forth 10 times a day to get it when perhaps it could be rearranged so that they can reach over and pick up what they need and save yourself a half hour a day of productivity just by them not having to walk back and forth you know 50 feet or 100 feet to to an area so these little things to look at these are these little things can really add up and when you're looking at it really look at it with a outside of the box view quite often it helps to have somebody from outside the company come in and look at it because sometimes we get kind of biased and, and we, we we don't really see the forest for the trees but somebody can come in and see that waste quite readily and save you a lot of money so review all your processes and and if you're doing your process and you should be able to ask yourself is this adding value to the end result and if you and what is that value and if you can't answer that you may want to consider removing that process and remember the scariest thing somebody can say in a business when asked why do you do that is because we've always done it that way we should never accept that answer and when we hear it it's definitely an opportunity to dig deeper strategy seven is to account for every component of your product or service there is a lot of leaks in the bucket in this area i'm surprised by how many business owners when, when i ask about the components of their product how many times they'll tell me well we throw this in and we throw that in as a value add and it's okay to have things as a value add from a marketing perspective to help you uh, get clients and to uh, and to increase the, your perceived value to your client but whatever you're throwing in needs to be costed to, so you understand what your real cost to produce that product or service is. You know, a couple of examples, for instance, is quite often I find a lot of trades companies, you know, HVAC companies, uh, electrical service companies, and, and, and others may not account for, may not have costed in, at least on a per job basis, you know, what their cost for connectors is, uh, soldering, setup time, all those types of things can add up over a period of time to a lot of money. And they need to be accounted for so they need to be built into your cost of product your service so that you understand what your real gross margin is i know of a food company that wanted to add a, a sticker or a decal to its packaging to emphasize freshness now this is a great idea great marketing idea each one of these stickers was going to cost three cents now the item itself sold for a dollar so when you add three cents to a dollar item that's three percent of your gross profit reduced now, from a marketing perspective, it may be a great idea, but it still needs to be costed because 3% of gross profit is significant, and when you don't account for it, your margins aren't going to be where you thought they were. You might have thought you were making 40% margin, but really you're only making 37%, and you're wondering why the cash isn't in the bank. So these are things to uh, to be aware of, that your every single thing you buy needs to be costed into your product or service in, in some way. I've provided an illustration for you on page 96 of my book, figure 8.1. And what it is, it's a, an example of 
form you could use to help account for every component in your product or service. And you know, just to kind of give an idea is, you know, again, raw material. What are all the raw materials? Uh, how many units are required? What is your cost per unit so that you know exactly what the cost for that component is within your product and listing every single one of those components, every single one, uh, even packaging, understanding your packaging, your shipping boxes, your master packs, they are all part of, of your, your cost of goods sold and affect your gross profit and all of them need to be costed into your product. So if you have a master pack that holds 10 items and that master pack costs you $10, that's a dollar per item you need to be accounting for in your cost of goods. The next thing is your labor. So whatever all the labor steps required and list all those labor steps, understanding what is your cost per labor or your cost you know, per unit to do that labor. So if you have 100 units, if, if somebody's producing 100 units an hour and they're being paid $20 an hour, then your labor cost for that step is 20 cents per unit. So understanding, because and, and depends on what your business you're in, you may have uh, uh, certain positions that are paid more than others. So again, that accounting for those various steps is having an accurate labor cost. And by the way, include your burden cost. I work with a client that based their labor cost strictly on wages, didn't include their burden costs such as, you know, employment insurances or in pension plans and, you know, work safe type of, type of premiums, which was adding up to an additional $2 an hour. And what we found that they weren't being costed in properly. So again, where a company thought they were making a 40% margin, they were really only making about 36% margin, which was adding up to a lot of money over time. So it's really important that everything is accounted for. And again, ensure that the little things are being added in, you know, even packing tape, get a rough idea or a close idea as you can is how much does packing tape cost per box? You know, how many boxes can you do with a roll of tape? How much does a roll of tape cost? So take the time to do the cost accounting and understand your true cost because your margins may say you're making a certain amount of money, but if the cash isn't in the bank, it's probably because the little things aren't being accounted for and being costed in so that you can properly mark that up. There's a section uh, in this chapter where I talk about the profit is in the soup. And it tells a story about what happens with a lot of restaurants. When an executive chef is costing out all the items needed to make a, a certain dish or a certain item you know, uh, on the menu, one of the things they're always factoring is waste. So, so for instance, uh, you know, there may be certain parts of a vegetable that all can't be used uh, in, in that dish or maybe trimming off some meat has to be accounted for. And, and that waste is accounted for in the main menu item. At least it should be accounted in the main menu item. So then what ends up happening by accounting for that cost in the main menu item, anything that's left over really has zero cost now because it was, it was already accounted for. And what a lot, a lot of restaurants do is they'll take all this sort of cutoffs and leftovers and they'll make soup out of it. And guess what? They'll make a soup out of it and then they charge you six or eight or $10 a bowl for, for stuff that really had zero cost for them except for some labor now, but it had zero product cost because those items were already accounted for in the, in the original menu item. So look at your business and is there any kind of waste, especially a product waste, supply waste, that you could repurpose and generate some money from that, would, that could increase your cash flow and profits? A good example, maybe an electrical contractor always has may have some roll-ins with the, with their cabling and wire. 
well, perhaps that can be sold online to somebody. There might be somebody that, you know, that could use uh, uh, short runs of cable and wire. Or you might be able to repurpose that product into a whole other product. So take take that waste and maybe there's another product you could sell that, again, would have zero product cost to you because it's already been accounted for in your main item. But now you can make something with a little bit of labor and make something that or produce something that could be sold for almost 100% profit. The eighth strategy is ask suppliers for lower costs. This seems really obvious, but a lot of business owners just don't do it. You'd be surprised by how often a supplier will give you lower pricing when you ask. One thing I have not seen very often in my career is suppliers just one day out of the blue saying, hey, we're going to lower your price because, well, we just like you. It just doesn't happen. So sometimes you have to ask a supplier for lower pricing. You may have negotiated or, or, or a price two or three years ago based maybe on a certain volume, but if your business has grown and you're buying more from them, it's probably time to renegotiate. So don't be afraid to ask. You'll be surprised how much money you could save. Now, you, you, know, you may not get huge discounts or huge price reductions, but if, if you can get a supplier to lower the price by even 2 or 3% and you're buying a half a million dollars worth of product, that adds up to a lot of money. You know, in this case, ten to $15,000. That's a nice bit of cash to add to a business. I've been on both sides of this as a supplier and a customer. So I'll just give you some insight of what the supplier is thinking. As a supplier, I always used to tell my customers volume talks. Give me the volume of business and I'll, and I'll look at giving you the best possible discount. So for instance, if you're buying, let's say, a half a million dollars worth of product from three different suppliers, and say it's $150,000, $160,000 each, they're only going to give you a discount based on the $160,000 you're buying from them. What if you were to cut one of those suppliers out, deal with two suppliers, and now you're buying a quarter million dollars from each one? You're likely to get a better price at a quarter million dollars each or from buying that from that one supplier than you would if you were, say, buying $160,000. So those are some strategies to keep in mind to get lower pricing from your uh, suppliers and again sometimes they could be substantial it could be more than two or three percent even five percent that adds up to a lot of money every once in a while it's good to put your business sort of out for bid or out for tender and let your customers or i'm uh, sorry your suppliers fight over your business you'll be surprised by the by the results that you're going to get from doing that so here we have it eight strategies to turbocharge your profits they're all easy to implement just take a little bit of time, a little bit of focus on your part, but I think you'll find you'll be able to turn your profits and cash flow around very quickly with just a little bit of time and effort. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And by the way, feel free to get a hold of me through my website at empoweredbusiness.ca or at Tony. My email is Tony at empoweredbusiness.ca. I'm always open to your feedback. If you have any questions on this, I'd be happy to spend a couple of minutes with you on a phone and maybe answer any questions that you have. And by the way, if you don't have a copy of the book, I, I suggest you get a copy of the book because there is some information, charts and diagrams that are in the book that I can't show you in a podcast. So have a great day. Look forward to seeing you on the next episode of Leaky Bucket of Profits. Mm-hmm.